When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10, that's podcast10, to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Now, to the top analysis of today's crypto markets. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. With me today is John Palmer, the head of SIBO Digital. Hi, John. It's great to see you. Hi, Maggie. Good to see you as well. So just a quick check of where we are before we jump in, where we are in the markets. Uh, so we've got uh, crypto up uh, for the most part. Bitcoin up about 1.7%, 31,077. Ethereum up 2.8%, around 3% uh, just a few minutes ago, 1,967. So a green day for crypto. So John, SIBO has a long history in the traditional options and futures market. It's a bit newer in the digital asset space. Before we sort of dive into some of, specifically some of the stuff you have going on, um, I understand you played a role in both sides of the business. So talk to me a little broadly about what the catalyst is for SIBO to get involved in the crypto space. Yeah, and as you mentioned, we've been uh, in business for 50 years. We operate markets globally across uh, multiple asset classes. Uh, so 26 markets, uh, 18 different regulatory jurisdictions. So, you know, we know how to operate markets well. And as we look at our global expansion, one of the things that we always consider is, you know, not only regional uh, uh, presence, but also different asset classes. And so as digital continued to grow, we saw it as an opportunity to, to bring the same efficiency, the same trust, the same resilience that we operate our other markets in, but in into the crypto landscape. So for those who haven't been tracking this part of it uh, closely, SIBO recently launched a new levered Bitcoin futures ETF, BITX, as well as filed for applications for spot Bitcoin ETF on behalf of some of your large institutional clients like Fidelity, Wisdom Tree, Vanek, and others. Is that correct? Is that where we stand? Are those your big initiatives? So we have a lot of initiatives kind of globally going on, but if we if we look at what's happening in crypto, we have kind of two pieces of the puzzle um, of, of many pieces, really. You have the, obviously the, the ETF listings that you just mentioned, and then we have the, our actual digital asset exchange, both for spot and futures. I think you're, you're speaking to the ETF listings, and, and I think that's probably the, the closest. I don't have the list in front of me to know what the what the exact issuers are, but, but yeah, we definitely have seen some movement there. Um, and I think as I think about it from the native digital side, that's really um, fantastic movement, right? And it's showing um, progression, it's showing um, uptake and demand. And I think it's really interesting to, to see how that continues to, to shape up and evolve. Yeah, I like when you say progression, you're an optimist, obviously, <laughs> but we're, we'll, we'll take it. You have to be if you're in this phase, right? But we'll, we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit. So Let's talk about, um, I want to talk about the digital asset marketplace um, as well, but let's talk about these two 
these two sort of ETF vehicles because it's been kind of in the news, right? So um, the the Bitcoin futures ETF, the levered Bitcoin futures ETF, that launched end of June, just recently, right? Like June 27th, what are you, a week or so in. So obviously really early days, but what's the reception like? Have you been happy with the volume so far? Yeah, so I think, you know, it's, it's as you mentioned, it's early days. And, and I think it's interesting to see, obviously there's demand for the product. Uh, there's a lot of buy side uh, customers, different funds, different mandates that customers have to adhere to that can't access the spot platform or, or, or even a spot asset. So th these are vehicles for them to gain exposure, whether they want, you know, one-to-one -one exposure, or they want some sort of leverage exposure. I think it's really important because there's different appetites at different investor levels. And, and so this is just a reflection of that. I think we're going to continue to see that grow as, as you know, it, it sits in the market and we continue to see more and more participants um, look for, you know, that type of access. Yeah, I'm curious, did you, was it a, a build it and they will come type of attitude toward this or are was this a response to customers asking for this? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's always a little bit of both. You obviously, we have great relationships with all our issuers and so we're constantly working with them and understanding their needs and, and really helping them in their journey um, as they want to bring new products to market. And, mm -hmm. and um, so, we, so we want to continue to understand what they're hearing from their customers and understanding what we're hearing from our customers and our liquidity providers and how we kind of, you know, uh, uh, put the two together, right, and and to help them bring a bring a really fantastic product to market, and then watch it grow, and help support it in its growth. Yeah. So, you you know, when we're talking about this demand side, um, there, you know, there were reports in the Wall Street Journal Friday that the SEC's again blocking BlackRock's spot Bitcoin ETF applications. So we're not talking about the levered future one that's trading for you now. We're talking about these spot applications. Um, why, why are so many institutional clients pursuing this space and looking at the products you just talked about at a time when the regulatory landscape in the U.S. seems so challenging? It's, it's hard for people to, so I think, put those two things together. Yeah, and I think if we take a step back, I think it all it, it all comes from um, use case and and how you expect different participants to gain exposure to the different assets. And so if we think about Bitcoin and spot Bitcoin as an example, it's it's a little difficult to actually go out and buy and hold that Bitcoin compared to maybe buying an ETF or buying a stock or or maybe difficult isn't the right word, but it, it's, well, well, it's more I, I unknown. I mean, that, that's what I would right? use, John. Right. I mean, under, understanding <laughs> keys and wallets and private yeah, keys, you were on it's this a journey, little complicated, right? So I, I, I think as we think about broad usage and use cases and how um, different uh, participants in the market want to hold different types of assets and where they want to hold them. A spot ETF is a really interesting product because there may be masses of folks that, that want exposure, whatever the amount is, in Bitcoin, but aren't willing to maybe go down the rabbit hole or the journey of understanding how to actually hold the spot commodity or, or, or the spot token itself. Mm. And so I think that's that's really the interesting play here is, is getting something that's a you know, well-regulated vehicle, a well-trusted, has proper disclosures, all the things that um, you know modern investors are used to today in other ETFs or ETPs or, or any sorts of securities that they're buying. Right? It, it comes with that, that concept of trust. And so I think if we can deliver a product that has the same you know, kind of pillars or, or tendencies or, or disclosures, trust, et cetera, as what they're used to, then their appetite to own it 
um, and the confidence in, in owning it, I think, increases. And I think that's that's what's really interesting about any of, uh, you know, just in general about a spot ETF, put aside, you know, the different issuers at play, it's just a spot ETF and, and now opening the doors, right, to, to more investors uh, so, into this ecosystem. So that's, that's really interesting because, uh, you know, from somebody who um, any of our regular viewers were know, um, a lot of the time I'm on the, for lack of a better way to explain it, the macro side, but I, you know, traditionally have looked at um, traditional finance markets, capital markets, the, the things we're used to. And whenever we're having these crypto conversations, the thing that comes up all the time, no matter what panel I'm on or if I'm moderating questions, it's always that where's the bridge to, to sort of mass adoption, right? What, what are the vehicles that are going to get over some of those hurdles that you just said? The way you're describing it, you and presumably the clients that you work with see this spot ETF as that bridge to sort of mainstream it and make access um, wider and adoption wider to many more people who are used to operating in an, in an ETF type world. Is that right? I think I think it's definitely one of the bridges. I think there's probably multiple bridges given mm-hmm. how we've seen um, the crypto ecosystem grow, and then specifically maybe the, some of the challenges in in the U.S. and and I'm sure we we could talk about that in a little bit when we talk more on the native digital asset side. But um, an ETF or spot ETF is definitely one of those bridges, and and so does an ETP, right? The futures listed or the the futures backed ETPs are also that bridge um, because they're they're holding futures that are that are listed, traded, and cleared through a federally regulated exchange of clearinghouse right under the CFTC. So I don't want to forget about those. I think it's just, mm. you know, there's different appetites, ETPs versus ETFs and and um, what really what in, uh, investors want to have access to. Yeah. So I, I would be so interested for anyone who's listening if for to weigh in, would, would you be much more prone if you are not? I mean, if you're listening, you may already be, you know, going through the steps of getting your wallet and, and acquiring um either Bitcoin or, but if you don't, if you haven't and you're, or, or if you want more, would this, would this open up the way for you? I'd be so curious to hear that because it has been the missing link. So what are you hearing from your institutional clients, John? I mean, it's been so, there's been so much lack of clarity. There's been a lot of hurdles. It's been a longer road. A lot of people have repeatedly been putting applications. What are you hearing from your clients in terms of what they're expecting from this? Do they think it's eventually going to get ironed out and they're just going to be moving forward? Or are they concerned that the longer this takes, uh, the harder it will be? You know, I think it's it obviously depends on the institutional investor and, and kind of where they're at also in their journey and where they're at in the landscape of, you know, the different types of assets they, they may be involved in. But I think generally the, the course of direction is positive. Um, it may be a very long kind of timeline we have to look at for generally, because obviously we've had quite a bit of cycles in um, in the crypto landscape, which I think has, you know, slowed down some adoption or maybe some folks have decided to, to pause or pull back. But I think the general trend is is up. Um, more and more institutions are starting to dip their toes into, you know, digital assets, uh, crypto assets, uh, whether that's via some of these things that are very uh, more on the traditional side, like ETPs mm-hmm. or ETFs, or are, you know, really growing uh, their knowledge and starting to take their journey into the actual, you know, digital asset or, or, or crypto game when, you know, getting involved with custodians and figuring out how they're going to access the different markets and what platforms they want to access. So I think broadly, it's it's going the right direction. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. So if we look at the, the levered Bitcoin future ETF, 
that you got through. CBO, you you managed to get approval for this, which is not a phrase we hear often uh, in this landscape. What did you do differently that helped you get that across the regulatory finish line? You know, I think it, it's important to look at just, you know, this is not a new process for us. Um, we work with our regulators, we work with our issuers very closely time and time again. And this, this is, um, you know, I want to want to kind of pull the, the crypto off of it just because it's a, a levered uh, ETP on futures that are regulated by the CFTC, those, the trading and the clearing of that. It, let's just pull back the, the stigma of, of it being on Bitcoin, right? It's, it's, it's a regulated vehicle, highly regulated vehicle that looks and feels like all the other levered regulated vehicles. So, you know, I think from our, our perspective, we look at it as just another opportunity for different types of exposure and different investors to gain access to, to something they're used to, right? Whether it's a, a levered vehicle on, um, you know, a different commodity, right? They're all kind of traded and regulated the same way, but put, mm. put spot Bitcoin aside, future Bitcoin, you know, futures on Bitcoin are, are highly regulated by the CFTC. So, you know, I think that's really important. And I think that helps, um, you know, helped the, the ability for us to, to be able to continue to, to deliver new innovative products um, in this ecosystem. Yeah, it's hard though when you say in Washington, pull the crypto aside, and this is going to, you know, this operates like everything else we touched. That that has not worked. That argument, um, or it's fallen on a lot of skeptical ears in Washington. You did you did have to go back with the application, right, and and provide some additional information. Is is that a sort of framework, and is that additional information? Like, how did you convince them? on the risk mitigation part and that it is it, that the regulations in place would be satisfactory enough for this digital asset as well and and can, do you think that can be replicated and that will help in the future with these kinds of regulatory issues now i think we look at any kind of new product it always it, part of this process is always education and it's not just education to the industry it's edu you know or to the customers it's also education and working with the regulators kind of side by side and so anytime you know th they may ask for more information or they're they're looking for additional kind of uh, processes procedures governance whatever it might be i think that's a it's a it's a favorable sign right and so it's just mm -hmm. the regu you know it's just part of the process um so i don't necessarily view it as as a as a bad thing I think it's really a good thing. Obviously, there's a fantastic result. I think as we continue to see the ecosystem grow, it, it is a, a new asset asset class. It is a, a nascent, you know, spot asset class. And so I think it's um, and and unfortunately, there's been a lot of negative, you know, headwinds. Mm -hmm. I think associated with just how you know some of the global issues that we've seen in the ecosystem. So you know, I think the the, the prudency. At, at the regulatory, at the federal level on, you know, these types of products, I think is under, understandable. Um, and I think, you know, they obviously are looking out for the best interests of the industry for the end customer at mind. And, and so, you know, if they were to ask for a few extra things, I, you know, that that's fine. I think it's important um, progression. I'll go back to that word because, they, yeah. you know, when they ask for these types of things, it's not, it's not a no. Right. Yeah, they're actually right. giving us guidance. They're giving us information on how we can continue to help provide them information that may get us to the finish line. And yeah. so I think that's, you know, it is a really fantastic end result. Yeah, listen, everybody thinks that, you know, S&P futures and all of these products that you deal with, they have existed forever. That's not true. I mean, we have some amazing uh, amazingly experienced members in our RV community who were some of the first to trade some of the derivative products and futures products that were developed along the way to sort of enhance 
liquidity um, and vehicles and capital markets. So this has been an evolution. You know, this is just the next stage. But as you say, there's a lot of sort of attention and a lot of it negative and headwinds because of some of what we've seen happen in the crypto markets. And that's got to be putting up additional barriers. Part of part of that was interesting for me to see the levered uh Bitcoin future get approval because on the face of it, that sounds so much more inherently risky than something like a spot ETF. But so how how is it that that got past the finish line? Is it just because the CFTC and, and SEC look at things so differently? Is it because of the regulator in charge? Is it because CBO, CBO, CBOE um, and CBO have such a long history dealing with this? How is it that that was the one that got through? Yeah, that's a that's a a difficult question. I'm, I can't answer on behalf of the regulators. So, um, you know, I, I, I think it's uh, part of it has to do with, it, you know, what's existing and how we can continue to grow that and how we can continue to grow that prudently. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, we get something in the spot side, then you continue to see the same sort of uh, evolution, right? If we mm-hmm. think of how other products have been brought to market, typically you don't see a levered product brought to the market first. You see a one-to-one product and then you see the ecosystem grow around that. So yeah. again, you know, pulling pulling the crypto stigma away from it, I think it's just natural evolution. And sometimes these things need to be in the market and they need to be out there for a while before the the comfort of the industry, including the regulator, grows to a point where they're they're, you know, they're ready for the next step. Yeah. Uh, and-, and so I think it's just again um, important progression. Yeah. I, I suppose it's interesting that it's mostly an institutional. I'm assuming it's that this is created the the clients that this is designed for are mostly institutional. Is that right? Uh, you know, it's a good question. I mean, I think um, it depends on the appetite of the investor. You know, I think uh, institutions, more sophisticated investors will, will tend to look uh, maybe potentially at, at levered products because they understand, um, you know, the risks associated with it and um, they're comfortable with those risks. And, and you know, they may be looking at specific, you know, styles of, uh, uh, you know, of investment where, you know, this this meets them versus that that, that doesn't necessarily mean that someone um, that doesn't um, have that same sophistication can't have access to this. It's just, you know, making sure that they understand what the vehicle is and, and how it works. And, and so I think that's that's why an ETP is really interesting here because it comes in that same wrapper that they're mm-hmm. used to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, you know, it's hard to kind of pick who the, you know, the end customer is, but I think it, it really is a, a broad range. So there are some who say that, listen, so much of the trouble in crypto last year was was because of excess leverage and that unequivocally leverage and Bitcoin don't mix. They don't mix. What What do you, how do you respond to that? What are your thoughts about that criticism yeah, that's been leveled? I feel like this is a really interesting segue into more of the native digital asset side of the fence, because I think it's a really, there's a big difference between market structures and um, how things are run or kind of um, oversought in, in kind of these two worlds. And so if we look at, you know, the leverage in uh, kind of the international crypto uh, industry compared to, you know, a levered ETP in the U.S., the way in which those market structures um, work are completely different. It's like apples and oranges. Mm -hmm. And so I think comparing the two and saying there shouldn't be leverage at all, I think is um, too broad stroke. I I think we have to look at and understand how 
risk is mitigated, how regulatory oversight works within the different participants that are in kind of the life cycle or the ecosystem of, you know, from idea generation to actual trade clearing and settlement. And I think there are, you know, given those major differences, I look at what we're doing in the US, um, inclusive of, you know, spot and derivative trading in Bitcoin, which is what Cibo Digital is doing, um, much different than, you know, some of these more, I would say, very vertically integrated platforms internationally that are offering significant amounts of leverage. Hey everyone, we're going to take another quick break and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. So help as a layman in this universe and you're and you're the expert, help me understand this because when I was looking at it um, and asking around about this idea of leverage, because let's remember, well, leverage has caused mayhem in traditional markets too, right? So you, you need to understand what you're playing with when you do leverage. The, 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 someone explained it to me that when you have leverage, leverage creates real demand based on imaginary supply, let's say. But the problem with Bitcoin is that no one can, there's a hard cap on the supply, right? So you can't satisfy in a kind of crisis situation claims on it if in a, in a, you know, is, is there something fundamental about the way Bitcoin operates that you have to be aware of in, in a levered universe and, or, or in an, a marketplace where you're using leverage? Um, you know, that's does that make sense? Yeah, it does. You know, I would, I would say that I'm not, uh, I'm not, I don't know if I have an opinion one way or the other on that. You also could tie in, you know, uh, securities lending, stock loan, hard to borrow, you know, it kind of brings to that standpoint as well. And, mm -hmm. and so, you know, that's an interesting debate. Um, you know, I think when I consider the differences, you know, whether it's, um, you know, Bitcoin or stocks or, or uh, some other version of leverage, I think it's important to understand all the pieces of the puzzle from when you're buying something to how it's being levered, to who has oversight, who's, who's you know, looking at those participants and making mm -hmm. sure that they're doing what they say they're doing um, versus, you know, versus the other types of leverage you can get. And so, I, you know, it's always you know, they, what do we, what do we call it in crypto? You know, uh, do your own research, you know, is, yeah. there, is a big term, right. That everyone kind of has been, you know, calling out over the last 12 or 18 months, you know, to your point, um, you know, we've seen issues in traditional, you know, trap by traditional finance over the years with leverage, without leverage. So, you know, the, the, the crypto industry is not immune to, to learning the same types of things that we continue to, to learn and evolve in, in traditional finance. We, we've, I think we've done it at a, a much faster cycle or cycles mm -hmm. than maybe we've seen in other markets, but but I, I don't think we're different or immune. I think it, the same risks, the same controls, the same checks and balances that are necessary need to be in place in crypto to continue to, to see the, the market you know, evolve and yeah. grow. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think that's why also a lot of people would like regulatory clarity to pull this onto, you know, into the light, into places that are transparent and institutions that have a, a track record in, in TradFi to get involved. But, you know, you've got that argument, right? And I, I'm wondering if that's that's the competition you face. Um, something I saw um, in the jungle that is Twitter that not always pay attention to, but this struck me as something that is probably um, an issue you're going to have to grapple with. Um, someone was talking about um, the, the BITX that hit the market. Um, the institution's don't want this product because Bitcoin is volatile enough. 
retail doesn't want it because they can either they either want cold storage or they want a hundred times leverage on an offshore exchange. Is that sort of international, the ability to just do that internationally? Is that something that you see as competition or that you are going to have to fight against? I mean, I think um, across all the ecosystems, there's there's pieces and there's broad swaths of, of investors that are going to want different types of vehicles. Um, obviously, you know, 100x leverage um, internationally versus 2x leverage in the U.S. are completely different things. Um, also, if you're in the U.S., you can't access the 100x leverage. So if you're looking for leverage, it's it's difficult to find. And the only way you can find that is in derivatives, right? So, and if you don't want to trade derivatives, specifically call it futures or even options, then the only other way you have to gain access to that is, is through a vehicle like an ETP. And so I think, you know, offering that choice and offering it in, in a structure that um, investors have the same protections that they have in all the other uh, vehicles that they can they can choose to buy or sell, I think is really important. And that's that's the way we've built our markets in the U.S. And that's why the U.S. markets are some of the most highly liquid and resilient markets globally. That's, mm-hmm. that's why um, a tremendous amount of the asset management firms globally sit in the U.S., right? And so I think it's important that, yeah, while we would love to compete maybe dollar for dollar or leverage to leverage internationally, I think it's it's important. We have to grow into it too. We can't just come in and say, hey, let's offer 100x leverage. Yeah. I don't even know if 100x leverage is suitable. That's, that's, a, <laughs> that's a lot of leverage. That was my thought exactly. And, and like a telling part of the comment, I think. But still, you know, that, that sort of um, in any of the regulatory conversations I've been in, the worry about the innovation leaving the U.S. and going a- abroad is real. Is, it, it, is that something that you worry about? I do worry about that. I think it's important, um, you know, crypto assets are built on the blockchain, the DLT technology and the concepts around that, right? And so it's important that we don't kind of isolate the U.S. from these technologies and the efficiencies that they can bring our financial markets all because of a crypto asset or for, for the back of a better term, maybe bad actors in that space. Um, you know, tokenization is something that's real. It's growing. There's a, a lot of um, a lot of participants are focused on tokenization. Mm-hmm. And if you believe that a lot of the same things that we trade today, whether they're bilaterally traded electronically via voice or they're highly liquid, centrally cleared vehicles, if those are going to be in a, a more digital form, a more you know traded or exchanged on blockchains or in some sort of DLT framework, then innovators along with the rest of the world in the U.S. because our markets, those same markets that I just spoke about earlier that are the high, most highly liquid markets in, in the world are going to move over and start to integrate with this technology. It's important for us to be ready and be leading that effort mm. um, instead of being lagging or potentially isolating ourselves um, from that technology. I think that's such an important point you just made, John. And I would love for you to Give us a couple of examples of like what that could be, because presumably these are things that you're looking at as well. I saw a stat Boston Consulting Group predicted that $16 trillion worth of assets, most of which are, they say, illiquid or could be more liquid, will be tokenized by 2030. And if you're talking about things that are already that, you know, liquid in another in another form that are being traded that are going to move to digital, that number's just going to blow out the roof. What what kinds of things are you talking about that you you see or or where SIBO focus? What what could be tokenized? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think the study that you mentioned is I, I saw the same study. So I think that's a, a perfect start. You know, I think we we need to look at the places where the most efficiency can be brought, right? So, you know, the most highly liquid, um, very transparent markets, you know, like like U.S. equities or or U.S. listed derivatives, I, I, those probably aren't going to be the first or second or even third or fourth markets that are going to move there. They're, they're probably going to be the last because there's so much efficiency already in those markets. But if we look at some of the mm-hmm. other markets that are, you know, very peer-to-peer, bilateral, opaque, um, maybe still voice, you know, there's, there's a lot of efficiencies that both not only moving to an electronic type of network, but also something where, you know, uh, blockchains and, and distributed ledger technology, um, you know, you can integrate those two and, and see a lot of efficiencies. And, and efficiencies, what's that mean? It's cost savings, time savings, mm-hmm. right? And ultimately that that reflects in the price that which people buy or sell, which then goes down to the end consumer, right? In the same cost savings. So what we're doing is we're making it cheaper. We're making it more competitive um, in those different asset classes. And I think that's, and, and we're making it more resilient, right? And more transparent, fairer with more price discovery. And so I think those are all, all I think, um, types of efficiencies that, you know, we've been striving in the U.S. to bring all the markets. And so, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I continue to, to think that we'll see um, those types of asset classes move first. Um, and then, you know, whether it's 10 so what years you, what, now, Give me an example. What, now, you, what would fall into that category? I mean, I, we're, we're starting to see bonds start, right? So we're starting to see, you know, a lot of different news stories and a lot of different groups focused on bonds. Um, and, and you know, those are extremely uh, opaque, even though there are some, you know, bonds that trade electronically. Um, and, and, you know, so I think that's, that's a really interesting place. Um, how those bonds get used and how we can find different efficiencies in the ecosystem of finance now mm. that they've been tokenized or now that they're on a blockchain, I think is really interesting. So it's not just the, I minted something, uh, I issued a, a bond on a, on a chain. It's what could we do with it after that, right? And what types of efficiencies are there after that? Because now that it's on a blockchain, it, you know, technically you, you could use it for a lot of different things, maybe a lot easier than you could use just some debt issuance that, that that's not sitting on a blockchain. So, um, you know, that we're seeing that now. So I think we're going to continue mm-hmm. to see that grow. You see a lot of folks talking about FX, a lot of folks talking about um, exotic derivatives or o- over-the-counter derivatives, structured products. Some of these things are, are really complex, really opaque, and there could be um, a, a huge swath of, uh, you know, efficiencies if we figure out a way to bring those, you know, more standardized, more into, um, you know, leveraging this technology uh, and, and seeing, you know, those efficiencies come through. And so I think you're, you'll continue to see folks look at that. Um, as we see that industry grow, we're watching it uh, closely, yeah. obviously. And, and so we'll continue to look for ways um, to offer value to our customers along the way as they kind of grow in their needs as well. Super interesting. That, that that thank you for that example because I think people talk about this big picture, but you know, a lot of us are wondering what is going to look like when it crosses our screen or is presented to us as something, you know, by an uh, a broker. Would you want to do this or do you want this in your portfolio? So being able to sort of think about what that might look like, and I'm assuming that opens up the the trickle down benefit for others is that it opens up financing right now in markets that are not that liquid and that people are reluctant to enter into. So you suddenly increase the amount of financing, um, you know, offered to people. So that that's super exciting. So we're almost out of time, John, but do you, um, you know, as we look at, at the 
efforts here to get everything past the regulators and to sort of move from progressing to actual, you know, uh, pick up the pace of progression. Let's put it that way. Do you do do we need an do we need a spot Bitcoin ETF in order for the rest of these digital markets to be able to accelerate and grow? Does that need to happen? Um, I don't think they're that they're that tied. I, I think we want to see a spot ETF to continue to see the ecosystem of uh, crypto or BTC grow and the and you know getting that type of product in the hands of of more users. But I think on the more the tokenization front, I think what's really needed is is more of just the clarity around how some of these things are going to be treated: um, digital assets versus crypto currencies versus digital commodities and are they different or treated differently than existing securities or existing commodities and that I think is something that obviously um, a lot of folks are working on both in the industry at the regulators and, and even on the hill and so as we see that continue to evolve and shape up I think that's going to be really the, the entry point or the you know the inflection point for how you know the digital economy maybe kind of starts to unfold and grow with the use of, you know, call it blockchains and, and uh, DLT technology. Fantastic. The digital economy, I like that. Clearly, we've just scratched the surface on what you understand about this stuff, John, and this idea of tokenization and, you know, into some of these markets that are really illiquid and the changes that will bring. Um, I think it, we, we've got to get you back on to talk about that because we get so stuck in the regulatory problems right now and the kind of consumer protection part of it that we don't spend enough time talking about what could be unlocked if we start to make progress on this. And sometimes it's banking the unbanked. Sometimes it's sort of, you know, improving financial markets and financing. There's so many benefits and we, we never get to dig into that enough. So we hope you'll come back and um, tell us what you're up to and keep us up to date on what SIBO's up to as you sort of create all these new markets. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Great stuff, John. Thank you so much. Exciting times. Thanks for being with us on this holiday weekend. Um, we were joking that we both drew the straw, uh, the short straw on that, but I think maybe I was wrong because that was really, really informational and I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me as well, Maggie. Thanks so much. And thanks to all of you who took the time to watch on your holiday weekend. If you're here in the U.S., enjoy the rest of it. As always, take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.